I like when things are made simple, and that's what we're doing here at church. That's what I'm trying to do, is make uh, a lot of this a lot simpler. Because the simpler it is, the more useful it can be. The more complicated it is, the more dysfunctional it can become. So that said, we're finishing our series on Young and Christianity, both very complicated uh, subjects. I was reading Young this week and going, oh my gosh, who likes to read Young? You know, it's, it's like when you got to take on reading the Bible. You go, where do I start? This book is so big. But that's why you come to church. That's why I come up here and I work to simplify it. Uh, I take all the ingredients and I mix them together and here's what you get. So there's a Seinfeld episode. I don't know if I'm, I'm a lover of Seinfeld. I think it just came out on Netflix. So uh, it's one of those shows you can watch over and over and over again. Uh, but there's a Seinfeld opus episode where Elaine is at her work office building. This is when she was working for a high-end art company. And uh, Kramer, Kramer is always a funny character in all the scenes, but he happened to be there in her office, and he's holding up this purple picture. It's very blurry. It it's, uh, looks like a 3D image. Uh, and it's one of those images that has an image in it. Uh, Kramer's enjoying looking at it uh, because he finally learned the technique on how to see the hidden image, uh, the picture within the picture. And then when Elaine's wealthy boss comes in, he has to ask uh, Elaine a question, but he sees Kramer so wrapped up and staring at this picture, he goes, what on earth are you looking at? And Kramer glowingly says, I mean, it, it doesn't look anything like what he says, but he goes, it's a spaceship. Why can't you see the spaceship? And the guy's like, I don't see it. I don't see it. <laughs> and the boss guy, you know, he can't, he begins to get frustrated because he can't believe that something that seems so clear and obvious to one person, to him, is hidden. You know, how could Kramer, the, the class clown of Seinfeld, see what an artist, artist professional can't see? But Kramer learned the technique on how to blur your focus, how you shouldn't focus on the whole picture. You actually shouldn't be distracted by the surface of it, but you kind of have to let your eyes go, like relax them, relax your mind, and then all of a sudden the picture just pops out at you. You may have experienced this in, in other pictures and in other ways, but I've come uh, to do this when I'm reading the Bible. And I used to read the Bible so literally. There's, there wasn't a person more literal than me. I was Mr. Literalist. I used to look at it in a very fixed way. It's like, uh, I have a question about the Bible. Well, what does it say? Just read what it says and just do that. And that kind of happened to me over a long period of time. You know, that's how, we, how I was taught. And when, you're, when you le learn something one way, it can be very difficult to learn a new way of doing something. Before reading the Bible metaphorically, parabolically, which is what I always am teaching, uh, I would just read through what made sense and say, this makes sense, why change it? Uh, and I'd skip over anything that was a little difficult, selective reading, you could call it. 
Uh, and if I didn't understand something, I would just read the commentary. You know, what, what did the Bible scholars say about it? Even though I was still wrestling with, with what the passage might have meant. And I still sometimes do this, uh, though I now know that the whole Bible is metaphoric. It's filled with riddles. I still sometimes just take it for what it is and move on. Many of us old-time Bible readers don't mind this process, but when new people come to the Bible, and we're seeing our, you know, when was the last time you went to a coffee shop and you saw a bunch of people reading the Bible? Or I remember when at, at Barnes and Nobles, the Bible, the Bible section used to be up front. Now it's all the way in the back next to like the tarot cards. <laughs> it's, it's really migrated a long way, but it's that foreign to a lot of people these days, because when they read it, it doesn't make sense. It might as well be, you know, uh, something mystical. Uh, so that's why, you know, our culture has en ended up not really taking the Bible seriously or reading it, uh, and I don't blame them in some ways, but there is a solution to this. Uh, today I want to show you how every little part of the Bible is spoken in riddles. Every part is intentionally blurred, like that picture Kramer was holding up. And it's blurred in a way so that it forces the reader to sit and meditate on a passage and learn what it might be saying. If you want to know the Bible's ancient wisdom, if you want to gain its understanding, guess what? Like all things, you're going to have to work for it. It's not free. <laughs> and I've trained my eyes to see and hear something different being said, because I am immediately reminded. You know, sometimes I want to go back to the old way of reading. But the passages that I have come across that says, don't read that like that, always remind me of how to read the Bible, because it's written unlike other books. The great book of wisdom we all know and love. You know, you're like, which, what, tell me some books of the Bible that you know. Everybody knows the book of Proverbs, right? It's, written by King Solomon. And in chapter 1, here's what chapter 1 of the book of Proverbs says. It says that the teachings of the Bible are for learning about wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for gaining, gaining instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity, to teach the shrewdness to the simple, knowledge and prudence to the young, let the wise also hear and gain some understanding and some learning. To understand a proverb, a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. He's saying these are riddles to be pondered. When you ponder them, you gain understanding. That's how it works. It is saying that the first thing we have to do when reading scripture you don't just open it up and say, oh, it says this. That's easy. If it was that easy, we'd all be putting it into practice. That's not what the Bible is. What Solomon is saying is the first thing you have to do when you open up the Bible and look at it as a book of wisdom, that you will have to be taught by it. You'll have to be taught understanding. And it says, once you acquire the skill, so you have to acquire something, and it's the skill to read Scripture as 
riddles, parables, and figures, like a figure of speech, like an analogy. Jesus always taught like this. So Kramer's boss, a professional artist, couldn't see what Kramer saw. He couldn't understand the riddle because he didn't know it was a riddle. He didn't know it was a hidden image in the image. We've got to know that. Jesus could see the Bible's mysteries. He could interpret its wisdom, even though the professional religious people around him couldn't. Jesus didn't go to school. Jesus wasn't a Pharisee or Sadducees or a legal scholar of the Bible, but he learned to see beyond the text. He saw that it was teaching something deeper. I see this as a Jungian exercise, maybe more of a gestalt game. Uh, you know those pictures that they say, "Look, at what, what does this ink blob look like to you? <laughs> that's kind of what the Bible can sometimes, that, that's a better metaphor for what it is. You know, if you and I look at it, are we not all going to have a different interpretation of it? That's kind of the point of the Bible. Um, when we look at the Bible like this, we are called to reach a state in our mind that loosens our conscious perceptions of what is being said or seen. We have to not project what we want to see, but rather we have to enter a more loose state of seeing by tapping into our unconscious sight. Remember Jesus used to say, you have eyes, but you don't have eyes. You have ears, but you don't have ears. He's saying that there's another way of seeing and another way of hearing things. For the passage we will look at today is speaking to the self, the person that we wholly are. And it gives instructions for how we can find the image in what Jesus will be teaching. And I'll get to that in a second. Not only will we see what Jesus is teaching, we'll learn how to apply it to our lives. If we just learn about Jesus, we go, I know a lot about Jesus. Well, bravo. Putting it into practice is where the real magic happens. You might have a great book of recipes, but if you can't cook, how useless is that book of recipes? That's what the Bible is. The Bible is just pages, just a book of recipes. You have to learn how to cook it. And sometimes when we cook it, we cook it in our own little way. That's how we should approach the Bible. So our teaching today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus is being asked lots of questions by religious leaders who are puzzled by Jesus' interpretation of Scripture. It's like Kramer. He was holding, he's like, this is, he was looking at the Bible going, wow. And they're like, what do you see? What do you see in it? It just says this. And Jesus is saying, there's something deeper here. After a series of religious and biblical questions, you know, these people were, We're kind of grinding away at Jesus. We get to the part in chapter 22 where Jesus is tested with another question. We've probably heard this, right? Which commandment is the greatest commandment? Today, we're going to see that Jesus answered them in a riddle. Jesus answered their question with a riddle. He did not give them the obvious answer that we typically read. 
And we all likely have heard this story about Jesus, where he sums up all 618 of the Old Testament laws in two commandments, because his answer is this. Love the Lord your God with your whole being. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I know that sounds straightforward. Like, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I didn't know that I was supposed to love God and love my neighbors. Is that why he came? In fact, did you know that Jesus, half of that answer, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6. He's quoting an old law. So he's not even making it up. So why did he give such an obvious answer to this question that they were trying, they were, it always says they were trying to trick him. They were trying to incriminate him, actually, so that he might say something that would get him in trouble. Like what? He gave an answer that they knew. It was a safe answer. Why did they end up killing Jesus if he gave, you know, a solid answer like that? His answers provoked ideas in them that they didn't like. And that even applies to this most obvious of answers. As I was preparing my sermon and thinking about our series on Young and Christianity, I wanted to conclude our study by summing up what I really think Young was saying about God, Christ, and human beings. When I read this little quote of Jesus, I saw that it held all the answers to what I had been teaching so far. And uh, in order to uh, find, to, to teach this today, I had to break down how I got to this conclusion and show you the technique. Because if I could show you how I see the scripture, then maybe when you go home and read it for yourself, you'll be like, ah, Sean's not kidding. Whenever I read the Bible, I should put on my riddle glasses. It makes it fun, right? So the idea that everything Jesus taught was a parable, a riddle, a teaching, is to make us think. On the surface, it may seem very obvious. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, I'll put that on my, the back of my car. It sounds good. It sounds like Jesus is giving you a simple answer, but underneath that answer is something so profound that you almost can't believe you missed it. In fact, it's quite scary how good Jesus was at covering up what he really meant. And because, you know, sometimes people say, Sean, all of the scriptures, everything Jesus said is a parable, maybe some of it, maybe once in a while, maybe, you know, most of the time, but all, I have to prove it to you first. In Matthew 13, it says the disciples came to him and asked, why do you always speak in riddles, in parables? Why do you do it all the time? And Jesus replied, because the knowledge of the secrets, they're secrets, just so you know. He calls, Jesus calls his wisdom secrets. Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, disciples. Those who are listening, you get it. Those who are listening with what they want to hear themselves, you will not get it. He says, I've given it to you, disciples, but not to them. Who's them? 
the people asking him the questions, the religious people, the scholars, the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Why? Because they think they already know the answer. So he answers them in their language, but underneath, he pokes at them. He says, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. If you get it, you're going to really get it. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away. Jesus said, this is why I speak to them in parables. Here's why. Here's why I always talk in riddles. Because though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. My kids are very good at this, uh, at this passage of the Bible. In them is fulfilled the prophecy. Jesus said, this, I speak in parables to fulfill a prophecy. Do you know that means he's not the Messiah if he doesn't live up to these prophecies? So he's actually speaking in parables to fulfill what was said by Isaiah, who comes way before Jesus. And it says there, you will be ever hearing but never, never understanding. That's the people who have the Torah, the Bible, right in front of their face, who go to temple, who run the temple. He's saying, you have it, but you don't understand it. He says, you see it every week, but you don't see it. And he says, because these people's hearts has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. And they have closed eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. And Jesus says, but blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. And he says, for truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. When Jesus tells the Pharisees and Sadducees, the commandments are basically summed up in loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. We may walk away and think, ah, there it is. I know. I know all the laws now. Thank you, Jesus, for that simple answer. Don't be fooled. Do not be fooled. In Mark, it says this. In Mark, it says, when he was alone, the twelve and the others asked him about the parables. So another passage, he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, outside of the, the disciples, everything is said in parables. So when Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor, who asked the question? Outsiders. So what are outsiders going to get as an answer? A parable. Love God, love your neighbor is a parable. Any answer these religious peoples got was just a blurred image. It didn't mean what they thought it meant. This frustrated them. But today, I will take you behind the curtain. I will tell you what I believe Jesus was really saying. Specifically, Jesus' response to them in Matthew 22, to the question of what is the greatest commandment, is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the first commandment. And Jesus says the second is just like the first. You shall love your, 
it's just like the first, why does it sound different? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You can put it on one page, what Jesus is saying. After reflecting on everything I have taught you this whole year, in this series on young and Christianity, after seeing Jesus in light of the new discoveries found at Nag Hammadi, we have learned, this is hard to hear, it's true, God is not in this building. Right? We know that. God's in here because we're in here. But this is not God's address. <laughs> God's not floating in the sky, right? He's not on a cloud. God's not hanging out in some mysterious realm beyond. Leo Tolstoy wrote a book called The Kingdom of God is Within You. Based on the passage that Jesus spoke about in Luke. Young has been saying it. Jesus has been saying it. In Luke 17, it says, once when the Pharisees, they asked him when the kingdom of God was going to come, preached a whole message on this, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom is not something that can be observed. So you know all those people that say, the time is coming. I wish they would read the Bible. Though hearing, they don't understand. Though they see it, they don't see it. He said, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. I've heard people say that. Because the kingdom of God, Jesus says, it's already in your midst. It's already here. The kingdom of God is inside of you. God is if God's kingdom is inside of you, that means where do, where do you think God would be in his kingdom? Ruling in his kingdom, right? So if the kingdom of God is within you, then where is God? God is inside of you. Living in your heart. And in fact, let the hearer understand. That's what Jesus, I'm taking a quote from Jesus. Aren't you God's child? An expression of God themselves? Are you not a leaf from his tree? If a leaf grows on a tree, does it say, I am my own self? No. It knows it's unique but it also knows it is the tree. The leaf is the tree. An extension of the tree. It may not have the strength of the tree itself. It may blow wherever the wind blows, and it fears you know, getting disconnected from the tree. But the truth about that leaf is that it is the tree. We may think that we are ourselves. We may think that we're off on our own, but we are not. We are children of God, connected to him 
just like that leaf is to the tree. The wind may blow and have us down, but no matter the case, we are still the tree. This is the mystery of Jesus' first commandment, that you and I are little leaves in this world. We're temporary people that will fall and fade away. But the fact is, we really are what we came from. We are the tree. What I am saying is that while my name is Sean, and there's Jean, Jackie, and Yvonne, and all the people here, you are truly not what you just are. You only see a part of yourself. In reality, you are the whole tree. You are the full expression of God. You just don't see it yet. This is why Jesus says, love God with your whole heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. What he's saying is love yourself. You are the tree. You are God. And you do not know it yet. You've only seen the blurred image. When you start loving yourself, every part of you, not just the good parts, you know, the, not just what you post on Instagram and Facebook, with the other photos that you don't want anybody to see. Then you'll become whole. When you, under, when you start understanding yourself, you will see that you are connected to God, that great tree of life. Talks about it in Genesis, talks about it in Revelation. That you are connected to the tree of life to which everyone in this room has originated from. And Jesus says the second, the second commandment is just like the first, that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. You see, once you understand that what you are is a divine spark of God, a unique expression, you will begin to see, you'll say, God is in me? I, in some way, am an expression of God? If that's true for you, then every person you're staring at it's true for them, too. You know, leaves, are they all green? <laughs> no. All the people around us, black, brown, white, Asian, light-skinned, gay, straight, disabled, young, old, they're just like you. Just different leaves on the tree. Leaves who also do not yet see the tree that they're attached to. Once you see for yourself who you are, that you are just like Jesus, a human, incarnate expression of God, then you will start treating people around you as the same thing, a human expression of God. Jesus says in John 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Do you see the mystery? 
Jesus was the vine connected to God. We are the branches connected to Jesus. If you follow that forward, you find yourself. I'm a branch. But if you follow it backwards to the source, you'll also find yourself. John 14 says, do not believe that I, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? This is why they killed Jesus, because he was saying such blasphemous things. He said, my Father's dwelling in me. That's who do, who's doing these works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He says, truly, I tell you, the same way I'm telling you all this today, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I am doing. He will do even greater things than Jesus Christ himself. You can hear what he's saying in those passages, and I hope you hear what I'm saying. That God is in you right now. And that God is in your neighbor right now. And that to love God is to love the God that is in you. And to love your neighbor is to love the God that is in them. Let me sum this up. This is what Jesus says the final judgment will look like. In the Gospels, it says this, But when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he'll sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Because you went to the right church? Because you followed all the laws the right way? Because you fit in exactly with culture? Here was the condition. Here's what it says from Jesus' mouth himself. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. This is God speaking. This is what it will be said at the final judgment. God will say, I was hungry, and you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I thought God was up in the, some, some throne. When I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. When I was naked, you gave me clothing. When I was sick, you cared for me. When I was in prison, you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, God, when did we see, when did we see you hungry? And when did we feed you? Or when did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothes? When did we ever see you in prison and visit you? God? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, people, your neighbors, you were doing it 
to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left, the people who are really good at, they knew all the answers to the, they knew all 618 laws and made sure everybody followed them. He said, you're, you're all cursed because when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. When I was a stranger, you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. When we put on the news at night and we see, yes, there's too many people trying to get in our country. Yes, there's a lot of problems in the world. But don't be fooled. When we turn those people away, we're turning God away. And I'm not saying it. Jesus is. He says, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of your neighbors, you refuse to help me. That's because God is in me and God is in the people around me. Life is a school that can teach us this. Jesus said it is a hard thing to understand. He called Christianity a narrow road of learning. But if we can wrap our heads around it, we will see how limitless, how far and wide God is, and that his love is waiting to be discovered when we first love ourselves, when we discover the God in us, worship that part of you. Nurture it. I'm not a good person because I do this. Well, love the parts you hate about yourself and encourage those parts to become the good parts of yourself. But you have to, I can't pick one kid that I love and my bad kid I hate. You gotta love them both. When you can start doing that, then start looking around. It's very easy to point your finger at other people and say, look at the bad in them. But when we start saying, hey, they're the same, they're doing the same thing I'm doing. When we start to see that God is in others too, then that great mystery of how God is everywhere and how love is in all things will become seen and heard many of us for the first time. Amen. Amen.